Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Florence Williams is the author of Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. She is a journalist, author, and podcaster. Florence is a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance writer for the New York Times, National Geographic, and numerous other publications. She is also the writer and host of two Gracie Award Audible Original series, Breasts Unbound and The Three-Day Effect, as well as Outside Magazine's Double X Factor podcast. Her book, The Nature Fix, was an Audible bestseller. And this book, by the way, Heartbreak, is available on Pushkin. .fm and is an absolutely amazing, immersive audio experience. So definitely check that out on Pushkin. Welcome, Florence. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. Thank you so much for having me, Zibby. Great to be here. I feel like I've been through the ringer with you after reading this book. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'm so sorry for everything you went through, but I'm glad it it spurred this book because it was so interesting. And I loved how you wove together the personal and the research and the dating and, oh my gosh, all the stuff. Why don't you tell listeners a little about what your book is about and what inspired you to write it? 
Sure. Yeah. I'm a science journalist. So I typically use events, I guess, from my personal life or just things that happen that I'm become curious about, you know, to sort of drive my work. And in this particular case, it was an unfortunate set of events. My 25-year marriage ended somewhat suddenly, not by my choice. And so for the first time in my life, I found myself reeling from heartbreak. And for some reason, I had been immune from this because I met the man who would be my husband when I was 18. And we stayed together for the next three decades. And, and mostly it was it was good. I mean, we had two kids and, and a lot of fun and um, exciting you know, careers and fun adventures in the downtime. But yeah, I mean, he, he just basically decided he wanted something different once our kids were teenagers. And I, I felt that that pain registered in my body in a way that I wasn't expecting that really surprised me, also freaked me out. I mean, I got sick and I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. I had trouble sleeping. I lost all this weight. You know, I felt like I had been plugged into, I think I said a faulty electrical socket that kind of weird, like, I'm really freaked out and I don't even understand it. Like, why am I feeling this so much in my body? I thought heartbreak was supposed to just be in our heads. And so that that sort of launched me into this investigation of why we need to take heartbreak really seriously and why we need to take our emotions really seriously. For me, it was a whole lesson in sort of emotional intelligence. And yeah, that's how it started. Well, this is our Valentine's Day episode. So happy Valentine's Day, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Sometimes it doesn't always last forever. <laughs> <laughs> but the the way you wrote about heartbreak and the way, well, first of all, let me just say, it's like a miracle that you and your husband got together the way you did and stayed together for that long. I feel like when you're so young, getting together, any couple that got together young, like the odds are so much less that they stay together forever, right? Because we all change so much. So I think I thought it was like part of the story that was amazing was was the success of it for so long to begin with. Yeah, um, that's true. Especially yeah. recounting how you met on your, you know, outward bound-ish, you know, pre-whatever time. By the way, I went to Yale and I don't remember that program at all. I obviously just didn't Oh go. my gosh. Yes. Yeah. It's called Foot. Oh, it's Fresh called Friday. Foot. Oh my gosh. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a nature yeah. person. I was like, I'm definitely <laughs> not going not. on that trip. Yeah, no, that's right. I forgot all about foot. And he was like your foot leader, right? He wasn't my foot leader, but he was the foot leader. And I was a foot freshman. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you took us through your whole relationship. And I feel like the first stumbling block, of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, the first stumbling block was when you had kids because the two of you were so adventurous going out and doing all these fun things. And then you referenced now you were in the wilderness, but you had to remember, you know, diapers or whatever, and you had a baby in a Bjorn or whatever, (laughs) and how that automatically changes the tenor of two adventurous seekers. You know, it raises the question, like, what do you do in a relationship is based on mutual interest? And then all of a sudden, one of you can't do it as well or as wholehearted. And what does that do? Right. I mean, it's a whole, you know, parenting, it's a whole new adventure, right? right. And yes. I'm not one I would have traded traded for anything, but it changed our relationship in that I think I had hopes, <laughs> expectations that we would have a more sort of equitable parenting, you know, burden. Yeah. And it was disappointing to me that we really didn't, you know, his his career sort of took took priority and I was not happy about that. And I also felt just sort of 
I think, uh, you know, uh, abandoned in some way in this sort of like, you know, difficult journey of parenting. I was, I was kind of on my own there for, for large parts of, of, of the of time. And I'm sure that, you know, these sort of small resentments and also just like points of disconnection, you know, feeling like you're not really being supported in the way that you would like to be, um, you know, they add up over time. Unfortunately, and I don't. I think maybe because partly because we got together so young, and had so little experience with other relationships, that you know we we didn't really have the language for communicating. I think as well as I mean I know now <laughs> I know now how little we knew about about kind of communicating our needs and then meeting them. Unfortunately, well, this concept of sort of midlife heartbreak, right? It's you always think about when we think about. You know, teens sort of sprawled on the bed with tears and sad music. Like that's what heartbreak conjures up for me. But it's very different when it's not just breaking your heart, but this broke your whole life, right? Your whole foundation like shattered because it affected everything. And you have some line in here about how all of a sudden, you know, you had to do these adventures, you had to go on these adventures without your life partner who had literally been by your side for your whole adult life. And then what do you do that day when you wake up and he's not there and your kids aren't there? And how do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's two things. One is that I, I still felt like I was a, a histrionic teenager. I mean, I was still, you know, lying face down on the bed, listening to sad music. I did that plenty. And I think no matter what age you are, you know, heartbreak is going to hit you in sort of similar ways, but yes, it's almost like having a brain injury or something that you have to relearn everything. You have to relearn how to move through your world you know, in this completely different way. And yeah, it's a huge blow to your sort of sense of self and your identity when you've been in a partnership like this for so long. And I will say, you know, it it, it feels, even, even though heartbreak is kind of a universal experience, at the time, it feels very singular. It, it's, it's a lonely experience. And for college-educated women who have been married for 20 years, the divorce rate is 15%. Like it's much smaller than, you know, we sort of think of it. I mean, overall in this country, it's 39%, which even that is is less than the 50%, you know, that so many of us I think grew up hearing. But people just don't in our demographic, it's the divorce rate is half of what it was in 1980. So I didn't have any really close friends who'd been through this or who were going through it certainly at the same time. So yeah, you have to just you have to sort of move through the world in a different way, figure out who's going to help you and support you, you know, in a way that perhaps you're not accustomed to sort of seeking. I mean, I had been, you know, sort of super competent and super together and very much wanted to convey that, you know, kind of persona to the world as, as we do and as we are taught to do in this culture. And suddenly I was like, oh no, I'm really kind of a mess. And, and it's actually in some ways not so bad being a total mess. You know, as much as my body hurt and was freaking out, you know, eventually I came to recognize that that these human emotions are actually a huge part of kind of, you know, understanding who we really are. And, you know, ultimately it, it makes us more empathetic, I think, to other people's pain. I really, it changed me in that way a lot. And we, we you know, we can talk about more of, more of the upside that comes out sort of later on, but it doesn't necessarily, that does not become apparent <laughs> <Let's just say. laughs> in, in the first throws of heartbreak. Well, what is, give me, 
some hopeful tips about for anyone who has suffered heartbreak or or this is also very similar to loss in a way, right? You lost your mm-hmm. life partner. Yeah, He's no totally. longer accessible. Grief, grief, as you point out, it, people write about grief all the time, right? How grief affects the brain and c- grief fog. And there's all this literature and documentation on the fact that grief becomes very physical in its form. And you're taking heartbreak and applying that same filter. Yeah. I mean, with heartbreak, you have all the grief, but you also have these sort of other layers. For example, rejection. Mm -hmm. There's kind of this emerging field, psychological field of what happens to your brain on rejection. (laughs) And as human animals, you know, we are hypersensitive to the group and to the feelings of the group and whether we feel like we belong in the group or whether we've been kicked out. And and so when, when your primary attachment partner takes off, you know, you, you're dealing with that sort of ostracism kind of feeling as well. And your body basically responds as though you've been left to the jungle by yourself. So you're sort of expecting predators to show up. You know, humans, we're not supposed to move through the jungle alone. Like we're just not. We safety in numbers. That's why we are social animals. That's why we're hyper social animals. It's just safer and it's, you know, it's better for sort of functioning in society or functioning as an individual in a society. And so that's why your nervous system completely freaks out and produces all these stress hormones, norepinephrine sort of floods into your muscles, um, into your organs, into your brain. And your immune system changes, like very, very clearly changes. And and so one of the first conversations I had was with this researcher at UCLA. And I told him that I had just gotten diagnosed with this autoimmune disease, you know, and I was heartbroken and blah, blah. And he said, well, why don't you come into the lab and we can run you through these studies I do, um, these, this blood analysis that's not available, you know, in a typical doctor's office. And we could look at your blood at various time points as you try to sort of recover from this heartbreak and see if your immune system changes. And so that's what we did. And that, that became kind of one of the backbone sort of scientific explorations that I did in the book. It was really interesting. And can you share the, the finding? Yeah. So in the first time point, which was, I don't know, five months after the split, it turns out that my white blood cells were changing such that, well, <laughs> what, what this doctor, Dr. Stephen Cole, he's a neurogeneticist, UCLA. He said, yeah, you look like you have the blood of a lonely person. Aww. And we know that lonely people do have a much higher risk for chronic diseases. They have a higher risk, significantly higher risk of dying early. And so his lab has been looking at why, like what's going on in the immune system, people who feel like they don't have social support. And it is, it is by the way, a subjective feeling. Like you can live in a family, you can be in a marriage and still feel unsupported, right? And still feel lonely. But so my blood cells were putting out more transcription factors that upregulate cells that produce inflammation. So as if they're getting ready for an attack by a predator, right? Or a a wound, like a blood wound injury while you're stumbling alone through the forest. And at the same time, down-regulating cells that fight viruses. (laughs) So because viruses are transmitted in groups. Maybe our immune system makes this quick calculation, can't do everything. It's like, okay, we're not going to do so much viral defense. We're going to do more wound defense. But that's exactly the wrong call (laughs) if you're living in modern life. And guess what? You're heading into a pandemic. Or in in this case, I mean, Steve Cole has spent quite a bit of time studying people with HIV 
And, you know, it's the wrong call, obviously, for HIV, where you where you really want that viral defense. And in our culture, too much inflammation that goes on for too long, we know, leads to all kinds of chronic diseases from Alzheimer's to heart disease to cardiovascular disease. Well, cardiovascular is the same thing to things like diabetes. So you don't want it. No. Yeah, but how can we reprogram the body in this lifetime? Not lifetime. I mean, it's more than a lifetime. This The way that we're actually programmed, how do we go about saying like, okay, well, if that's not the right call, now what do we do? So that was my urgent question was like, I need to get better and I need to do it as soon as possible. So that's where I looked to sort of these evidence-based heartbreak recovery plans. I ended up kind of busting, I think, some of the myths that that were told, you know, ways to recover from heartbreak that didn't have science behind them. And I kind of threw everything I had at it. So, you know, I tried to do things like meditating, which we know can help your nervous system get into a calmer place. For me, I had already written this book called The Nature Fix about how being in nature can make us happier and healthier and more creative. And I knew that I loved being in nature. So I turned to that. One of the psychologists I talked to pretty early said to me, you know, she said, yeah, the statistics, the health statistics for people who are divorced are pretty bad. Like people who are divorced have much worse health outcomes and a 23% increased risk of early death. She said, but we know that some individuals are more resilient than others. And there are certain things that, that these there are certain qualities these resilient individuals have. And I, I, I practically grabbed her by the shoulders and, and to, to beg her to tell me what these things were because <laughs> I wanted to be a resilient person. And she said, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. We find that when people have been through tragedies, it's the ones who are able to see beauty and cultivate a sense of beauty, a sense of awe. These are the people who actually seem to sort of come through these tragedies in a way that they can make sense of what's happened to them. They can find joy, you know, still on the other side. Their brains seem connected, have more connections kind of in different parts of the brains that just help them put their own problems into perspective and help them tell, help them tell themselves a story about what happened and how they can get through this. I thought that was fascinating. And so I left her office just determined to spend even more time. For me, it was in nature. You know, for other people, it might be listening to symphonies or listening to music. And then, you know, I, I spent time with, with people who have PTSD and are trying to recover from it, to learn from them. I went on a backpacking trip with a group of fascinating women, young women who have been sex trafficked. And I mean, I could not in any way compare my experience to theirs, but but they were exhibiting, you know, what I would call sort of post-traumatic growth in a way that their trauma, their resilience became contagious, not just the sort of feelings of stress. I went through this workshop for divorcing people that was EMDR, was a psychotherapy um, intervention called EMDR, which utilizes sort of eye movement and bilateral stimulation. That was kind of interesting and maybe somewhat helpful. Um, It is an effective treatment known to be effective for for, for trauma. I went through psychedelic therapy with a therapist using MDMA and psilocybin as sort of a decoupling drug, which is not often how we hear it. And then I I put myself through this wilderness (laughs) adventure where I spent 30 days on a wilderness river, including 14 days of it alone to try to learn 
how to how to be alone, how to rely on myself, how to access some bravery. Um, yeah, so I did all that and I ended up writing about it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. So for people who can't necessarily take off and, you know, take a canoe with a bathroom on one side of it and, you know, <laughs> try to go, go camping and doing all the stuff. From all your research, what is the best thing for people to do? What can people do? Well, I have this kind of three-part plan that's sort of general enough that people can kind of customize it to what works. Um, so the first, well, I'll, I'll tell you the three parts and then I'll go into them. It's n- number one, calm. You have to calm down. Number two, connect. And number three is purpose and meaning. And so should I just dive into like sort of the first part there? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, your body basically, as I, as I said, is kind of in fight or flight. And so you have to figure out how to get out of that so that you can then do the work for healing. Cause none of that's going to happen when you're sort of in the grip of, of a giant freak out. <laughs> um, so do what you do that, that can help you calm down and sort of get you out of this kind of zone of, of um, acute trauma. For me, that was movement. It's breathing. It's nature. It's meditating, dancing, whatever. Okay. So then, then the connection piece is, is both connecting authentically with people you love so, you know, family members, your good friends, lean on them. <laughs> You'll find out who's there for you and who isn't. And, you know, with divorce, I think sometimes people feel like it might be contagious or something. And they, uh, and, and so much of our social world is built upon couples or on family units. And so when yours kind of dissolves, um, it, it, it is interesting, like who, who really shows up for you and kind of who doesn't. But also connecting to nature and connecting to beauty. So anything you can do that helps you feel like you're part of a larger universe that puts your own sort of dramas into perspective. When we feel connected to other people and when we feel connected to the world around us, it does kind of shrink our egos in this really, really beneficial way. 
not in a way that damages our self-esteem, but just in a way that sort of raises the importance and significance and beauty of everything else. Um, and I talk a lot about the power of awe, you know, to do that in the book. So that's part of the connection piece. And then finally, it's um, it's this purpose and meaning. And when I worked with this blood geneticist at, uh, when this geneticist at UCLA, you know, he said, we what we have found when we when we analyze blood in groups of people and we, we give them interventions to do, like volunteering, you know, at schools or whatever, he said the healthier immune system is not really linked to sociality or hanging out with people or even like rating yourself as happier. It's not sort of about feeling happy. It's really about finding purpose in your life. And so if you're volunteering in a way or whatever, you know, you can find purpose in your family unit. You can find purpose in your work. If you can do that, then you may not feel like you wake up every morning like mirthful and giggling, but you have this sort of like North Star that that really fulfills you in a way that Americans just aren't, I think, used to sort of equating with well-being or happiness. But he said, those are the people who actually have the best immune systems and the best looking blood. (laughs) So that's a really hugely important antidote to both loneliness and heartbreak. I want to like FedEx him some of my blood and see what he thinks. (laughs) Someday, someday maybe we'll all be able to do it. It'll be on the Apple Watch eventually, but it's not there yet. Are you lonely today? Here's what you need to do. Here's what helps you, Zibi. What helps you is taking a bubble bath. Interesting. But what helps me is walking through the woods. You know, eventually, I think it's not unrealistic to think that personalized medicine might be able to help us figure this out. Like, when when are when are our blood cells when are our white blood cells happiest? Wow. Yeah. It all comes down to meditation. <laughs> meditation is certainly a huge. It's a huge intervention for some people, but not for everybody. Right. No. It, it doesn't. doesn't it's really doesn't hard to me. learn it. <laughs> It's really hard to do it. It's hard to learn it. And then once, a lot of times when people do learn it, then, you know, it falls off. Like it's hard to sort of make it sustainable sometimes for some people, obviously some people It's interesting though, that you can basically take an inventory of your life based on these metrics, right? Like as you're talking, I'm like, well, I live in New York City. When I'm here, I feel less happy probably because I never leave my house except to like drop off the kids. And while I think my house is beautiful, it's a, it's not nature. It's not awe-inspiring, right? It looks exactly the same all the time. Whereas <laughs> when we take a trip to California or something and the sky every morning, it's like you just look at the sky and wonder and be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, right? That like fuels your soul in some way that I think we all know is obvious in some way, but not measurable. And maybe we don't prioritize it enough, if yeah, we, if we said it's like actually going to save we our don't. lives, that's right. I, you know, I think change. one of the almost definitions of awe is that it surprises you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little bit of a novelty quality to it that, and that's why it sort of pulls us out. Yeah. You know, of our sort of little you know comfort zone to to make us pay attention and go, whoa, what, what is that gorgeous, like purple moon doing it tonight? Right. You know, or, or my God, wow, that butterfly. I did not expect that, but it doesn't have to be the grand Canyon. You right. know, you can find awe in things 
that are close to home. I mean, if you had a houseplant, you know, that's putting out blooms and you really paid attention to that houseplant, you know, you could find awe in that. You could find awe in your connections to your children who always do things that surprise you and make you just, I think, sometimes blown away, right, by their, you know, by their emerging intelligence or their intuition or their just, you know, the way they see the world. They can remind us how to find wonder and awe. But even in a city, you know, there are lots of green spaces. There is a sky. There is no, you're a full right. moon. I, I know. I shouldn't have. I'm regretting even saying that as we're talking. No, no. Um, I think it's a really, that what, what you said, I think is very, very commonly experienced by people. But but we do, most of us do live in cities. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to figure out how to make awe and beauty a part of our lives, we actually do need to work at it and be mindful about it. And when, so, so, I mean, I, I, there, there's this little acronym, A-W-E, that I find very helpful, I think, for people who live in cities. And it's like, go out once or twice a day or, or do it in your house or do it with your in your kitchen or whatever. But, but the, the A stands for attention. Like, just pay attention to something beautiful and try not to, like, you know, multitask and think of your to-do list or whatever. But just pay attention. And then the W is wait. A minute. So like sit there with that attention. And the E is exhale. So, you know, take just two breaths while you're looking at something beautiful and sort of, you know, drop the soundtrack of your thinking brain for just a moment to wake up the sensory brain, you know, smell it, touch it. And even that little exercise has been linked to pretty dramatic increases in people's well-being. It's amazing. Hmm. Okay. Done. <laughs> I'm going to work it into my day. Okay. And, you know, and I, and we can see the sky. Look, I mean, I can just look out my window, obviously, and there is sky and we do see sun, the changes in the sun. And, you know, I don't want to minimize it. There are ways and Central There are Park birds. And there blah, are blah, clouds. Blah. There are, yes. There, we're and not right like now, in a dramatic weather. <laughs> and dramatic weather. I was thinking <laughs> that during this big snowstorm, right, as the kids were outside and just like picking up the snow. And I'm like, how crazy is snow, right? It is right. so crazy that we walk outside one day and we can touch this. It's like, you know, people would pay for this, right? People would pay your to kids go love it. They're it. like fully present. Yeah. No, I love it too. It's so fun. We were like snowball fighting. and Anyway, but yes, I think all of this, and of course the search for meaning, which I also think people know, but I think people struggle to find meaningful yeah. work and how to fit that in and what means something to them, especially when they're running you know, they're like on the treadmill, right? At like 8.0, trying to figure out what's mm. meaningful. It's really hard. So it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. But at least there's now a framework that's achievable and that's great and inspiring. And I love that. Yeah. And I think if we use it as kind of a signpost, like, mm-hmm. you know, when we're making decisions or planning, you know, even just little and big events in our lives, you know, is this something that's going to give me meaning or mm-hmm. is this something that's going to entertain me? Is this something that's going to, you know, amuse me? Or is this something that is actually, you know, going to fulfill me in a deeper way? And I mean, these are sort of obvious questions, but I think we're not used to necessarily analyzing our decision tree (laughs) with this as as a goalpost. Yeah. I find this all completely fascinating. And I'm just wondering, I didn't talk at all about like the writing of this book or anything, but what, if you're giving advice to someone who's trying to do something similar and write a book like this, you did such a great job of weaving your story in with the science and making the science very digestible, right? It's not confusing. It's 
lay people's science that's very impactful, right? Because it has these action steps associated with it. So how, how do you do it? Like, what's the secret? How do I do it? Well, I've been doing it for 20 years. <laughs> so that helps. Yeah. I mean, I've been a science journalist for a long time. I, I find that humor is kind of a key ingredient in helping the science become digestible. And I, I apply humor, I think, towards myself. And I also sometimes apply it to other people just to make them seem more human too. So the scientists I meet, it was so interesting when I was working on this book, Zibi, because, you know, I would go to some lab and talk to some illustrious scientist and I would say, yeah, you know, I, I, I was married for 25 years and then my heart got broken and this is why I'm writing this book. And they would say, oh yeah, heartbreak boy. When I was in graduate school, blah, blah, blah. Or I just got this phone call about my mother. I mean, people, the scientists I talked to, it, instantly would share their own heartbreaks in a way that was so just personally validating. You know, it's just nice to have people say, yeah, I've been there, right? How helpful is that? But it also became, I think, helpful in the book because Mm -hmm. it humanized them as characters that I wrote about. Very true. All right. Good tip. And also I'm excited to listen to the Pushkin audiobook. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm super excited about that. We did something really creative with that because I had done you know, quite a bit of audio work. I I took tape of like all these interviews. I took tape of my friends. I, I even taped my therapist talking to me on Zoom. I taped, yeah, some of the boyfriends along the way. And I spoke in an, into an audio journal. And so we actually wove in that sort of in the moment tape for a really immersive audiobook experience. Oh my gosh, very exciting. I actually first heard about your book from someone at Pushkin who I was- Oh, great having a meeting with. Anyway, it was awesome. Florence, thank you. Thank you for this Valentine's treat, this inspiring roadmap to more fulfilling, purposeful lives while we're heartbroken or not, just how to live better. I mean, what what better gift is that? So thank you. Oh, thank you so much to be. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.